Welcome into College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. I'm your host, 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Adam Finkelstein. And speaking of scouting, it's been a busy month, the July recruiting period, and now the question becomes, who's the number one player in the country? Whether it's in the class of 2024, 25, 26, we're gonna break that all down because suffice it to say, we may have some movement. Speaking of movement, College basketball, if you thought the rosters were set for next season, you were dead wrong. Kansas had some losses. There's an international prospect that now all the Blue Bloods are fighting for. Memphis gets a key addition. We will have all of the latest coming up in this show. Speaking of the latest, Flory Badunga. He has narrowed his list down to four schools. We are talking about the most physically dominant big man in the high school class of 2024. That means he's a rising senior. And then last but not least, Foreign tour season is upon us. Kentucky made the trip north to Canada. They won a gold medal. What did we learn about John Calipari's squad? We will have all of that and much more coming up next. Coming into the month of July, Cooper Flagg was number two in the rising junior class of 2025. Obviously, he made a strong case for number one at the Peach Jam. We're gonna talk about that. But then, in the second week of the recruiting period, Ace Bailey, he made a strong case in front of Travis Branham to overtake, potentially, Dylan Harper for the number one spot. Here's Travis's take. The question for who is number one in the 2024 class has been a hot topic of debate and discussion, but Ace Bailey may be putting an end to that. Dylan Harper currently sits atop the class due to his extremely high floor with his ability to impact the game as a playmaker and as a scorer. Over the weekend, I got a chance to see Ace Bailey on two different occasions, and he has looked to have grown to every bit of six foot nine with explosive and electric athleticism, able to create and make any shot he wants at any given moment. But we've known that for some time. And the thing that has really pushed me over the edge with Ace Bailey is his development of his passing and vision on the court. It illustrates in the feel for the game that we didn't know he had previously. And that was one of the biggest question marks when we did our last rankings update. So now when Nace Bailey takes the floor, he's not only impacting the game with his size, length, athleticism, and his energy on both sides of the court, but also his shot making and now his passing, both off the live dribble and showing he can do it out of ball screens and out of the top of the key. He is an elite talent and possesses all the talent and the highlights that you would want in a number one player. He not only projects to be an immediate impact player when he goes to Rutgers next season, but he also projects to be a potential star when it comes to the NBA. Bossy, Travis is uh, very enthusiastic of his support of Ace Bailey here. Obviously, he saw him. Uh, the last month of the July recruiting period, and he said it, there's a new number one in his mind. Uh, the question is still very much up for debate in my mind. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I, I'm not surprised at all with Travis. I think with Ace, he's a guy that I said as far back as last October when I went to watch him work out with his high school team at McEachern in the Atlanta area that he had the potential to be the number one player. And I know you'll remember coming out of the USA basketball mini camp yeah. at the final four down in San or down in um, Houston. I was really high on him as a potential number one guy. Again, um, he's got a lot going in his favor. He's young for the class. He's either just turned 17 or is just about to turn 17. So he's really more age wise, a class of 2025 guy. Um, you know, there's been some things about not being able to see him as much as some of the other players. So we don't have as big of a book of information to go on, but from a physical standpoint and with his tools and his upside and what we've seen in the past, 
I'm not surprised to hear from Travis that he's putting it together like he is. And if he really has done that, he certainly is very much in the mix for the number one prospect. And it's not like we're making a huge leap here. We've already got him number two, so moving him to number one wouldn't be some some huge leap here. Yeah, this this is a two-player race, in, in my opinion, right now. Coming out of the summer, I think there's two players who are, who have uh, could make a claim for it, Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper. Dylan Harper, the current number one. I had a very similar reaction um, to Travis's when I saw Ace Bailey. It was just one session in the USAB 19 and under trials. Unfortunately, he went down. He got the flu, and so he wasn't able to go on. But as I've said, I think he would have made that team. And I had very much uh, the, a similar kind of wow sentiment when you talk about his athleticism, positional size, and the skill set. I was really impressed with his shot making. The case for Dylan Harper, though, is not one that is based on those, those immediate first impression wow moments. It's based on sustained productivity and versatility. I think that he has been um, the most proven player in the class. I think he's arguably the most versatile, at least, guard in the class. We saw it with USA Basketball. I thought he was the most impactful of the high school players playing on that 19 and under team that he went on to make. He can play on or off ball. And he just puts up numbers and figures out a way to impact winning wherever he goes. He led the Rens to the semifinals of the EYBL. And, and I think that's going to be a factor, too, because you alluded to it there. We haven't had the chance to see Ace Bailey quite as much. And so I, I would kind of I guess I would cap it with this. I, I think that where I'm at personally, and I'll let you follow up on this, but where I'm at personally is before we come out with our updated rankings, I'm making it a priority to see Ace Bailey again, as I know we all are trying to do, because we haven't had as much of a chance to evaluate him as we have Dylan Harper. With Dylan, we have 16 regular season EYBL games, and then I think it was six or seven Peach Jam games. We've got you know all that data from USA Basketball. We've got all that film. Ace Bailey playing with AOT outside of a sneaker circuit has been harder to find, harder to evaluate, and quite frankly, harder to evaluate against the best of the best competition. But we've got to do our due diligence because Travis and I have now seen the same thing. This is a high, high level prospect. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, we're all getting in there. And maybe it's just that I just got back from Las Vegas, but you know, uh, I think if we're going to gamble on someone, it might be worth going ahead and taking a gamble on him. But, of course, we're going to keep doing the due diligence. All right. Now, turning our attention to the class of 2025, and this is really, I think, the gem of the high school class right now, especially if A.J. DeBonza ends up in this class, like many speculate, A.J. currently in the class of 2026. But Cooper Flagg is the hottest name in all of high school basketball right now, of course. He had a huge peach jam. I mean, put up incredible numbers, led a Maine United squad that was perceived as uh, not really a, a, a favorite going into the week, certainly. They were perceived as a uh, uh, under the radar, shall we say, or, or maybe uh, a spoiler at best. But they went on, first of all, they beat Cam, Ruzer, Cam Boozer's Knight Riders elite squad in a, a pool play game, and then they went on for the rematch all the way to the finals, he put up huge numbers. I think it's safe to say he was the best player in that division. And now people want to know about the battle for number one. So before I give my take, what are your thoughts on where we currently stand in 2025 with Boozer, with Flag, uh, and anybody else who may be in that, that equation in your mind? I really think it's just uh, Boozer and Flag at this point, unless AJ Divansa goes ahead and makes that switch to 2025 and then of course we've got to talk about eventual speculation that cooper flag may go to 2024 but here we are right now in 2025 i think those two have 
pretty well separated themselves. And I'll tell you what, headed into this last few weeks, I would have said Cameron held a pretty big lead over Cooper. Um, but the more and more I see Cooper play, uh, and this is nothing against Cameron, who I still think is an incredible talent himself, I think I'm starting to lean in the, in the direction of flag on this one a little bit. He just is so versatile in what he did putting that team on his back. And, and obviously, people stepped up around him. His brother stepped up, ace, very big, and w- was helpful. But he has to wear so many hats and do so many things for them that it's hard not to really take notice. You know, I almost wonder if you put him on a team with a lot more talent, he might do less numbers-wise, but be able to do it even more impressively because – there wouldn't be so much focus on him to do everything and so much defensive attention. So where I'm at with it right now, I think I might be leaning a little bit towards putting flag at number one. Yeah, I think I'm with you. And you raise a couple interesting points there. Putting him on a team with a little more talent. Well, that was Montverde last year. His first year there as a sophomore, he ended up averaging nine points per game. He was their fourth leading scorer, but he was not the alpha on that team. That was a team that was often led by Derek Queen and Liam McNeely. Both of those guys are back this year, but I am very interested to see how Cooper Flag evolves under those circumstances. Does Montverde uh, become his team this year, or is he still a little bit more of a Robin to those what will be seniors to their Batman? But I think for me, Cooper Flag right now, uh, coming out of Peach Jam, I should say, has the leg up on that number one spot. The defensive dominance in terms of the shot blocking, we talked about it last week. I've just never seen someone at this age who is under seven feet tall who is a better shot blocker. He is is just elite in that area. He's also an outstanding passer. Uh, We knew both of those things, maybe not to quite the same extent we saw at Peach Jam, but we knew both of those things. The biggest area of growth in my mind was the flashes he showed of self-creation. Um, and, and I think his skill set is only going to continue to get better. I actually think he has to keep getting better as a shooter. I think his handle is going to keep getting better. His footwork is outstanding. His instincts, outstanding. And the creativity we're starting to see, he loves to kind of use the backboard, throw passes to himself. I've seen him do that effectively now three or four times. But it, it's the potential I've seen as an on-ball primary creator that to me is the differentiating factor between the Cooper flag maybe of a few months ago and the guy we saw who is now the, the, the biggest name in high school basketball. So, Ibas, I will end with this question for you. If Cooper flag ends up in the class of 2024, and I should be very clear, we are not reporting. This is sheer speculation based on the fact that he's old enough uh, to be a one-and-done prospect if he ended up in that class. If he ends up in that class and someone said to you, on the spot right now, and obviously this is going to continue to evolve. They said, who are you taking, Dylan Harper, Ace Bailey, or Cooper Flagg? What would your answer be? Cooper, very yeah. quickly. would not take long. I just think what he does from a competitive standpoint and his all-around versatility and fit in the modern game, it's just hard not to go with him. You know, doesn't mean that he ends up being the number one guy, you know, 10 years down the road, who knows, but... If I had to pick one guy today in that group, if he goes to that 2024 class, it's a pretty easy decision to take Cooper for me. I would agree with that, the two-way impact. I actually think his, I actually think his lead would be more substantial in the class of 2024 than it is in the class of 2025, meaning I would put Cameron Boozer at number one if he reclassified to 2024 as well. I think those are probably the top two upperclassmen as it stands uh, going into the high school basketball season. All right. We've got much more on this. We're going to continue to follow these storylines throughout the course of the month, but you can see it right here. Cooper Flagg, Cameron Booser, 
currently the top two prospects in the class of 2025, but updated rankings are right around the corner. Will they switch spots? Only time will tell. All right, now the other guy who kind of had a change of heart this week was Marcus Adams Jr. And Bossy, I'm going to go back to you on this because he's a player that you saw during the high school season. He was initially 2023, then he was 2024, then he's back to 2023, gets to college, and now he doesn't want to be at Kansas anymore. So there has been some back and forth, but what do we know about this guy? So Marcus Adams is, is an interesting kid. He is very, very talented. He's six foot eight. He can shoot the ball at deep range. He's able to create shots off the dribble. He's a pretty good athlete. Um, during his short time at Kansas, he was hampered a little bit by some injuries and wasn't able to work out with them as much as they would have liked, I think, and would like to see him be in a little better shape. And it's crazy because I saw him at the Peach Jam with his entire family just 10 days ago, and he was ranting and raving about how much he loved Kansas. But, you know, we forget sometimes these are teenagers and they're not always the most mature. And if you dig back further on Marcus, you got to remember he committed to Kansas on a Tuesday afternoon. Monday night, he called Mick Cronin to UCLA and told UCLA, hey, I'm, I'm coming. And then by Tuesday morning, he called Mick Cronin back to say, well, no, I actually have changed my mind. I'm going to Kansas. So indecision and, and you know, off-the-cuff changes seem to be kind of consistent with Marcus. So he's going to really need to get locked in somewhere. And what's going to be interesting here is he may have to get a waiver in order to play because he's in the transfer portal. This isn't a release from a letter of intent. He was enrolled at Kansas. He was on campus getting aid. And we're outside of the window for instant – Mm. for transfers to be able to hit the hit the road and be instantly eligible so he may be in a really strange position here where he's looking to go somewhere to play more and if, if people want to hold his foot to the fire and, and i'm waiting for an official answer on this he may need a waiver and there is a chance that he could have to sit out this season which would be totally crazy it would really take him back to that 2024 class for all intents and purposes that we were expecting him to be in in the uh in the spring. Um, Trotter, any intel yet? And I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, Bossy mentioned UCLA. Do we have any idea of, of what Adams may be looking to do? Is this a move potentially to go back to the West Coast? Yeah, I think it's still up in the air in that regard. You know, I think a lot of coaches are still waiting to hear the real answer, a lot mm -hmm. of if he's going to be eligible or not, too. But I, there is some, you know, security in having a guy that you know can take up a scholarship spot this year, but you don't have to play him, it's really hard to find minutes for 13 guys. And so if you have that opportunity, hey, we can take Marcus Adam, but we know he's probably not going to play this year. That isn't a horrible thing for certain programs who can kind of bank that scholarship for the following year, and then they can you know figure out the rotation from there. So it'll be interesting to see which schools matriculate for him. All right, now guys, one of the reasons why this is interesting for a number of schools is because quite frankly, a number of schools still have spots to fill. Uh, we've been on the road the last couple of weeks. I was sitting with a high major head coach um, at the Peach Jam, and I said, gee, you, gonna, you coming out this week? And he said, or this or next week, are you going to Vegas? And he said, no, we've, we've, uh, we're going to have a kid on campus, and, um, or maybe it was the prior weekend. But any, the point was he was still hosting official visits, and he said, yeah, can't give away our 13th scholarship at this point. We're just looking for somebody for practice. The bottom line is that college programs are still looking for talent. They're looking for talent to add to next year's roster. This is a theme that is consistent from the high major level to the low major level. There are a lot of teams still looking to fill places. This is also, I believe, a cautionary story for everybody putting their name in the transfer portal, thinking there are greener pastures. Well, it turns out that some people 
just don't have many options when they put their name in the portal. But one player who is getting a lot of attention is from the NBA Academy, and that's Johnny Furphy. Now, we talked about him on last week's show. Johnny Furphy, interesting case study because this is a player who midway through last season with the NBA Academy was perceived as a mid-major recruit and had mid-major schools, multiple mid-major schools, pass on recruiting him. Now, what happens? He comes to the NBA Academy games in Atlanta the first week in July, and he blows up, and now he has a chance to go directly to college in the class of 2023. Bossy, what else do we know about Johnny Furphy and how he has become such a high-profile and in-demand late recruit? First of all, when you're talking about guys available this late, he's he's really the cream of the crop. And you you watched him with me last weekend in Las Vegas. The guy is a legit player, and I think he's a guy who can come in and at a high major level play a legitimate 15 to maybe even 20 minutes per game as a freshman, depending on the program. He's pushing six foot eight. He's a big wing. He can really create off the dribble. He's a fantastic shooter from deep. It's watching him. I understand he's gotten a lot better in the past few months, but I'm, my mind is just blown hearing the stories of low and mid majors passing up on the opportunity to sign him in the spring because to me he looks like if we put him in the in the 2023 class like a top 50 type player perhaps um you know or certainly that in the class of 2024 so it's going to be interesting because some schools are trying to make things move with him quick now where the trickiness is that we're in a we're in a dead period for recruits and they can't get them on campus until i think july 28th the, the, the dead period ends and there's teams you know they want to maximize how long kansas and north carolina are two that stand out as programs that i know are putting in a lot of effort to try and get him there's a lot gonzaga is putting in effort uh cal ucla some there's a lot of schools trying to get involved but this guy he's, he's really the hottest thing going right now so it's a pretty amazing story. It goes from a potential mid-major recruit just about six months ago to now someone who has his choice of blue blood programs. Uh, one school that picked up a big addition this week was Penny Hardaway and Memphis. They landed Alabama transfer Javon Quinterly to what is widely expected to be or potentially the oldest team in college basketball. Uh, Isaac, what do we know about the Tigers and um, why I mean, I think the average age is something like 23 years old, but this is going to be one uh, really experienced club if everything comes to fruition the way we, we now suspect it might. Yeah, it makes me wonder if Penny Hardaway was really watching Micah Shrewsbury at Penn State last year because Penn State got really old and then played out, outplayed preseason expectations to a huge degree and almost made it to the Sweet 16. So this team is going to be really old. Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills out of Florida State. They added David Jones out of St. John's. They went down to Jordan Brown, another big man uh, out of the CUSA. So they've added a ton of high-level talent. We'll see how it all comes together. They have a lot of different pieces. Mikey Williams is a case that still has to come into play here. But this team is really old. They have a lot of insurance policies. I feel like they have a lot of really multiple point guards, multiple big there. wings. I see what you did there. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. They have just a lot of different pieces that they can go to work with. So I'm interested to see how it all comes together because, you know, this roster is really talented. You know, it's a new look American conference. You have some new teams in there. North Texas is coming in for its first year. So the talent, even though they lose Houston, is still going to be pretty high. But Memphis is going to head into the year, you know, as the odds on favorite to, you know, to advance out of that league. Bossy, you heard Isaac mention Mikey Williams. Uh, they got commitments from Mikey Williams and J.J. Taylor, two of the more maybe polarizing prospects in the 2023 high school class. Um, what do we expect 
for those two players this year? Obviously, there's still some things to be figured out, but, but where do those two guys stand at the present moment? That, that's a good question because I, I find a team that's so old, you know, in this age of conference realignment, they've really taken the next step by making a move to the AARP with what they're doing. But, you know, J.J. Taylor is athletic. He's long, but he is really, really skinny, um, does not have much strength. Him coming in and having to compete against these grown men is going to be difficult for him, and he's going to have to really fight for his time. And I don't know if he's quite ready for that. Now with Mikey – He's physically ready to go, and I think he's got the confidence in himself to, to carve out some minutes. But clearly with Quinterly and Mills and all these guys, that, that's going to be a tough road to hoe for him too. And, of course, Mikey is still waiting on, on some, some weapons charges that he got hit with in the spring. Um, doing some digging around on that and speaking to some people close to him, it sounds like there's hopefully going to be some resolution to that, a positive resolution within the near future, and then he can make his way to Memphis. But – Certainly for as much as happened, it seems like there's still an awful lot of question marks about Memphis. Yeah, it's going to be certainly one of the more compelling teams with plenty of storylines to watch next season. Uh, you know where you can find updates on every team and the continuous transfer portal happenings as college basketball rosters continue to evolve even deep into the summer. 247sports.com, we've got you covered all day, every day. Flory Badunga is a five-star big man in the national class of 2024. In fact, he is the highest rated big man in that rising senior class. Now, coming out of Las Vegas, he officially trimmed his list to four schools. Eric Bossi joins us with all the latest on his recruitment. All right, Bossi, coming out of Las Vegas, some fairly big news is Flory Badunga, currently the fourth-ranked prospect in the rising senior class and the number one big man, trimmed his list to four schools. What can you tell us about what may be coming up for the big fella. So it's not really a surprise to see that Flory has officially narrowed it down to Auburn, Duke, Kansas, and Michigan. Out in Las Vegas last weekend, it was pretty clear that those were the four schools involved because you had Juwan Howard with an assistant watching. You had Bill Self with three assistants watching. You had John Shire with an assistant watching. You had Bruce Pearl with assistants watching. So what's interesting here and just pulling the gym is each one of these programs, I feel, legitimately thinks they are either in the lead for Flory or that they are right near, right in the top group or two. You know, you talk to one person, let's say it's Auburn, Kansas, and Michigan. You'll talk to another person, let's say Kansas, Michigan, Duke. You'll talk to another person, let's say, well, it's just Duke and Kansas. Um, Kansas is the one that seems to come up consistently. Duke is the program that when they got involved back in June, I think everyone kind of almost threw their arms in there and just and just gave them up to the Blue Devils. So I do think if I had to pinpoint it, I would say that it is probably Duke and Kansas in that top two. But Michigan and Auburn are very much in this thing. And I don't think we're going to have to wait too long on a resolution to this either. From the sounds of it, he's become pretty tired with the recruiting process, and I could see him making a decision as soon as by the end of July. All right, a few things to know about Flory Badunga. He is one of the most impressive and dominant big men in the class. We don't have an official measurement for him, but he's listed at 6'9", maybe 6'8", without shoes on, uh, but a monstrous wingspan. In fact, I would love to know what his official measurement is in terms of his width. He has just got length for days. He's like a pogo stick all over the rim, dunking on his way up, blocking shots. Um, and you've seen him expand his game a little bit in terms of being able to put the ball on the floor in the passing, but it is that physical dominance that makes him truly unique among other big men in this class. And I hear he's going to play soccer this year. So uh, working on that footwork 
at Kokomo High School for his senior year. Flory Badunga, currently the top-ranked big man in the class, getting ready to wrap up his recruitment with just four schools left in the mix. There's no denying the upcoming season is going to be a big one at Kentucky. John Calipari brought in the number one ranked recruiting class in the country, but he had a little more difficulty than expected finishing the roster in the transfer portal. So those who thought Kentucky were in trouble, well, you got some bad news this week because they went to Canada, they won a gold medal. Isaac Trotter rejoins the show to help break us down what we learned. Isaac, what did we see from John Calipari's young club last week? What were your big takeaways? I felt like Kentucky played modern basketball for the first <laughs> time in a little while. We saw a lot more threes. I saw a lot of layups from this group. They went 4-0. And, you know, last year, Kentucky was the third worst and 357th nationally in rim and three-point rate. 67% of their shots were at the rim or threes. And that's a really, really low number. And in, in Global Jam, you see a team that's passing the basketball, moving the basketball a lot, taking a lot of threes, taking a lot of layups. You know, playing five out, playing with a center that can really shoot it from three and Trey Mitchell. So it's kind of a new look Kentucky basketball team and partially because of the injuries. Right. Aaron Bradshaw was out. Yugana Onyenso also went out with a foot injury that will require surgery. But Trey Mitchell looks like a godsend right now. The West Virginia transfer after the Bob Huggins fiasco, being able to get him in has really transformed this team. And we start to see the first look at one of the top recruiting classes in the country. And you see a bunch of five star talent and. DJ Wagner looked as advertised. Justin Edwards looked as advertised. I'd expect both of those guys to be in a vicious, vicious competition with themselves for SEC Freshman of the Year if they play like they did you know, in Canada. So you know what my big takeaway was, and, and you hit on a number of things there. To me, when you watch that, I, I thought it was clear that like Justin Edwards is the guy. When you start, not, not for the team, but when you start talking about that freshman class, and we talked about this at length last year, you know, there's so many family ties between the Wagners and Calipari, and it was such a recruiting, uh, it was such a vicious recruiting battle between Kentucky and Louisville, who's got plenty of family ties themselves. You wondered how much of this was going to be catered towards DJ Wagner. But Justin Edwards showed, like, no, 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 I'm the guy who needs shots. I'm capable of putting points on the board right off the bat. And by the way, I'm also capable of stepping in and defending at the level that John Calipari has historically wanted. I think DJ Wagner could be a plus defender as well. But to me, it was a it was an example of what Justin Edwards is capable of doing right away as a freshman and why we had him so high up those final rankings. Want to ask you about the style of play and the big men. Um, you noted that they were missing uh, two bigs out with injuries. One, um, it remains to be seen if this is a team that has the depth to withstand injuries, if those become problematic during the course of the season. Two, as it relates to style of play, uh, Trey Mitchell at the five, he allows them to play more of a, a spaced offense, but they don't have the rim protection that we've historically seen them have. So if everybody gets healthy, do you expect to see Mitchell more at the four, or do you think this is the style of play that now maybe we'll see more of from John Calipari? Yeah, no question. I think if they're healthy, they want to play two bigs on the floor at the same time. And I think you saw some of their issues defensively up in Canada. Even when they had Trey Mitchell at the five, his ball screen defense was a little bit iffy. You know, the rim protection, as you brought up, was basically, you know, non-existent. So I think they do need to play those. I, I would be interested in Aaron Bradshaw at the four, Trey Mitchell at the five, because both of those guys can, can be versatile. They can add different pieces. And that vertical rim protection that Bradshaw has is exactly what this roster needs. But at the same time, it's really fun seeing four skilled ball handlers on the floor at the same time like they were running out items with 
Reed Shepard, Antonio Reeves, DJ Wagner, and Justin Edwards together, those four can do some damage together. The ball just pops all over the floor. The, the, the ball movement, the spacing was just a, a breath of fresh air. So I would keep that in the back of, of my mind if I'm John Calipari. Just in certain lineups against certain teams that maybe don't have a, a huge, huge post presence, I think that Trey Mitchell at the five with four guards makes a lot of sense and could be a really useful piece in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, maybe we will see a little bit more small ball. We do know Justin Edwards can play that spot, although I, I think you bring up a great point. I, I think Trey Mitchell and Aaron Bradshaw uh, could be relatively interchangeable at that four and, four and the five spot and on both ends of the floor. Last thing I want to mention, um, no one understands marketing and recruiting better than John Calipari. So, like, he couldn't be in Vegas because they were on this, this, you know, foreign tour, so to speak, up in Canada. They win the gold medal. But the thing that set social media on fire was the practice and subsequent pool dip at Drake's house. And, of course, uh, Cal on social media to document the whole thing. I mean, this guy understands marketing like no one else in college basketball. Um, just your, your take on, on that whole experience and how that's just part of the cachet around Kentucky as it is right now. Yeah, my favorite quote in that was the three word, my friend Drake. I don't <laughs> think many coaches around college basketball can can say that with a straight face. Yeah. John Calipari can. So that's the difference between Kentucky and some, you know, the haves and the haves nots in college basketball. And that's what Kentucky is right now. And now they have to back it up. You know, this is a huge season for John Calipari. You know, he's taken some darts throughout this offseason on the roster construction, on playing a different way of basketball, on if he's lost his fastball. Like there's been some real push here and now I think we're starting to see that swaggy Cal a little bit again and in that video at Drake's house kind of re reassured everybody that you know Kentucky's gonna be Kentucky again next season all right well one guy whose fastball is only gaining speed is Isaac Trotter Isaac thank you for joining us here today uh, love the hot takes keep them coming you can check out all of Isaac's work on the upcoming college basketball season and obviously tons in recruiting and guess what we're gonna have some NBA draft coverage coming back real soon 247sports.com you can find us there all day every day as always, a very sincere thank you for watching the show. And a reminder, if you'd rather listen to the show, I mean, who wants to look at this mug? You can find us under Apple Podcasts, searching College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. Watch, listen, we will be here all week long. And again, you know you can always find us, 247sports.com, all the latest college basketball, recruiting, transfer portal, NBA draft, and the 24-7 sports channel. Until next time, we'll see you soon.